Welcome to HR Unpacked, a podcast about HR workplace issues, where we analyze and then discuss the latest developments in HR and employment law that impact both employers and employees. Each episode, we unpack the latest legislation and regulations to provide practical guidance on how to tackle the HR issues that are affecting the world of work. Welcome, Kate. Yeah. Hi there, Jonathan. Um, Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for joining this podcast today. So today we're going to be looking at the future of recruitment and what it will look like in a post-COVID world. Um, Goes without saying, really, COVID has affected all our lives in in so many different ways. Um, and, And many will argue that it's changed the way we live. It's changed the way we look at work for good, the way we evaluate where we work, how we work, what we want to work as. Um, And that has had a real impact on the job market and people's um, desire to move roles. So more employers are recruiting for those with different kind of values than those that were set pre-COVID. And candidates are looking for jobs within businesses that allow for more flexibility. They're really looking at CSR in relation to a business. And that means that businesses are having to be agile and think on the feet about how they're going to recruit and and attract the best talent. Um, So today is about exploring what all that means and and how it could affect the future of recruitment and and with that in mind what was more pertinent really to to bring along a special guest that's Charlotte Turner who I actually work with closely um and Charlotte is the director of portfolio group um so Charlotte I, 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 without further ado if I can hand over to you a, a little intro because you're going to bring a real practical edge to today's session really the realities of being at the forefront of recruitment brilliant oh, well thank you both first of all for inviting us onto the podcast um yeah as Kate mentioned our director of the portfolio group we are a specialist recruiter um working across um sectors across HR payroll finance and procurement um, across all industries, all clients across the UK nationally and internationally. Um, on top of that, we also provide a um, RPO offering to a global consultancy, uh, which means that we actually recruit across all sectors um, from marketing, customer service, sales, IT. So we really are seeing the whole length and breadth of every job role, every client um, across the UK at the moment. And it's uh, challenging across every area, as you can imagine. Brilliant. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks, Kate, and, and thanks, Charlotte, as well for coming, coming on to the uh, to the podcast. I'm sure you'll provide some really good good insight for us. So, 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 what exactly are the problems? Um, I know, Kate, you're going to go into the specifics in a moment, but generally, what has been the impact um, of recruitment post COVID? Well, I think we, we can all admit and accept now that the world of work has changed and will change um, in the future. It's becoming more apparent. Um, that we're working from home more, that we're changing the way that we actually um, work physically in terms of where we work and how we work, use of technology. We're going to be using um, technology a lot more, but also there's going to be a change in the job market as well. Now, this has been predicted um, for a number of years, but I think um, the pandemic has been a catalyst for this in terms of the change of the of the job market, the types of jobs that will be um required in the future the kind of skills gap and what type of jobs are are going to be required in the future and if you look at some of the some of the um research that's come out and just some of the some of the um stats that have come out around what the future of the job market looks like a lot of the traditional job markets will have a negative recruitment over the next three years and you've seen um different sectors coming to the fore really and taking over those traditional jobs 
and um, recruiting a lot more heavily than the traditional industries. And it's not only the change in how we work, but also the actual jobs will change in the future as well. So what do you think is the kind of impact of that, Kate, for the future? Well, I suppose a starting point is what our peninsula clients are calling about. Um, Right now, they're in the thick of trying to sort out operational demand versus bodies, to be blunt, in, in the business. Because I can say firsthand that resignation is a topic that our clients call up about. And uh, how we categorise our call. It used to probably be about the 10th most frequently talked about subject matter each week. It's it's week in, week out, number two in, in the, the, the issues that employers, that our 41,000 clients are calling us about. And I think that's really changed their focus on business success because, you know, as opposed to being able to think strategically right now and think about how to take the business forward, they're stuck in the midst of just trying to get the people in through the door. And importantly, the only reason they're trying to get people through the door is because more people are leaving. That retention piece is ever more critical. Um, If a business isn't focused on engaging and retaining their staff and thinking about creative ways of doing that, that they're misplaced right now is essential because the market is so buoyant and people can get jobs quite easily. You know, the last ONS Office of National Statistics figures show that the number of job vacancies in the period of November 21 to January 22 was at a record high of nearly 1.3 million. And pre-COVID, just before the pandemic started, that was around 800,000. So, you know, we're breaking records with the vacancies out there. And again, touching on what you referenced, Jonathan, it's about... Well, hopefully a positive in that businesses have grown and types of roles have changed, but the people leaving current jobs, it could also be to about their engagement with the role they're in, um, job fatigue, um, the buoyancy of the market, changed expectations due to lockdown and what people want from, from the world of work. Um, and it's an employee's market, you know, you, you can walk out and quite honestly, for many, walk into another job. So it's that competitiveness of the market and it, all employers searching the same pool of people to recruit and they need to be thinking about engagement, engagement, well, engagement strategies, how you keep your best people. I think more than ever, that's the most prevalent subject for businesses, Jonathan. Yeah, and, and it's 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 interesting because we, we talked about it in the, in the podcast about the great resignation. It should be seen as an opportunity for employers to, to, to recruit different talent as well. You know, moving away from that traditional um, type of candidate you want, you know, think outside the box a bit more, recruit somebody from maybe a different sector or industry or background you know, it gives an, an, a really good opportunity for, for, for um, companies to change culture and really, really embrace why people want to change jobs and change what, what roles they want to do and what career they want, but also improve improve their um, recruitment processes and, and improve their, um, their, their employability as well. You know, recruitment, I always think, and I'm, I'm sure Charlotte will go into it in a lot more, a lot more expertly than me, but, it, but it's a two-way <laughs> process of recruitment, I think. And it well, should be about the employer selling the company to the candidate. I think I, mean, the, I was just I was just going to say the same thing, um, Jonathan, in the sense that um, talking about taking people from different industries, one of the biggest things that we're trying to explain to our clients is that, unfortunately, that carbon copy of what you would have liked to have recruited three years ago isn't necessarily there at the moment. So we're really encouraging a lot more um, maybe graduate recruitment or training recruitment and giving people the opportunity to 
sort of progressive in a business, which also then to your point, Kate, helps improve the retention because we're finding yeah. that candidates are much more then bought in to the training and the skills that the employers are giving them. Yeah. And I think that career pathway that you inferred there, if if you can, if, if you really want, let, let's take my, the business I'm in, if you really want to take H, take the opportunity to get into HR and you've been a people manager, for example, often you don't get a look in pr- with, mm. with businesses because you've not got a HR qualification. But what about if you find someone with the right approach, demeanor, a passion to learn, and you actually, as you said, Charlotte, invest in that learning, and they've got that exciting opportunity to have a career that they may have never had before. You get in somewhere and you invest in that person's development and career pathway within an organization. They're going to be t- so engaged than someone that's been an HR professional for 20 years, got mm-hmm. a handful of jobs that they could accept and just happens to choose yours because, you know, that one, there was an, an extra tick on the list. If it's a whole new opportunity for a whole new career, that that has impact and power. And I think that's the, the, the issue that you've got where you're recruiting experienced hires, Kate. You just mentioned about the number of vacancies that they've got available is that, you know, Every candidate that we're speaking to at the moment isn't just interviewing for the you know two or three jobs that we've got them forward for. They're actually interviewing for another five or six elsewhere. And it really could come down to that one extra benefit. Um, you know, it might be a healthcare benefit. It might even be something as simple as a birthday off that could be the swaying point for the vacancy that they are going to take. And I think that, you know, also... You know, the difference of a thousand pounds and two thousand pounds maybe two years ago wouldn't have made such an impact on people's decisions. But because there are now so many vacancies that they can choose from, they are taking that one that is that paying that extra two thousand pounds more. So the competitiveness for um, experienced talent, it's it, it sometimes does hang on a knife edge of where they get of where they, which yeah. one they're going to take. Yeah. When, what, Charlotte, for, I suppose for me, really, when a candidate's coming to you now, what are the kind of list of I, you know, must-haves as opposed demands. to I would like. Yeah, demands. <laughs> well, but what are the kind of things people are saying? I, I, I want a job and it's got to have this. Is, is, there a, is there a theme and trend? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously COVID and the hybrid working is um, is the key one that people are now looking for. And I think that um, one of the things I would say about the hybrid working um, model and where we were in person six months ago, I do think that the landscape from a client perspective and their expectation is changing slightly which we'll probably pick up on a little bit later but whereas originally six months ago everyone was happy to have someone hybrid or completely working from home now where things have opened up again employers are are having an expectation of you know maybe an extra two or three days in the office compared to what they were doing six months ago so when the candidate when candidates are coming forward saying they want at least three days at home it does limit the opportunity slightly, both, empl- both from the employer and the candidate point of view. We've seen um, a much bigger increase in requests for private health care okay. as well since COVID. Um, and just flexibility is, is, is the key one. The hybrid and I'd say um, private health care has been two of the biggest ones that we've seen. Charlotte, can I just ask about mm. um, the kind of the, the, the practical side of how you help your clients at what stage do you get involved with the recruitment do you get involved at the very start when it's the, the the job description and the person specification being created 
how how do you get involved in the process and then how do you kind of help the client through the process well portfolio um, is a business we've been going for over 30 years now a lot of our clients are repeat business users they've known us for a long time we've placed them into their first position and they've gone through the ranks so i would say that we partner with a lot of our clients so you will see a mix you'll have some that would have come to us because they may have seen us on um, various trade magazines, etc., and they will already have their job description in place. Um, there'll be others that we will work quite closely with them, and also with the sort of the, the consultancy business that we work closely with. We work to a point with them where we're providing constant feedback um, on current job descriptions, current salaries, um, current market trends. So I'd say we provide the full sort of consultancy service um, from start to finish process of the offer and the tying up stage as well building upon that then how do you what do you think i know you kind of intimated it but what do you think the real the real differences are between how how companies have recruited before and after the pandemic has there been any really clear differences not just in terms of of the offering of you mentioned flexibility in private healthcare is there anything else which is you've noticed is the key difference between um, pre and post pandemic in terms of the actual recruitment of these companies? So what's had to what's kind of had to happen post um, pandemic with the way the market has gone so competitively is that, and this is down to sort of market conditions and obviously us working with them is the speed to hire. So you can't we can't be in a situation at the moment where uh, a client has got a wish list of five or six things and they want to wait for those five or six things they might and they might see a candidate that's maybe got three um and then they'll want to see more cvs or more candidates for that dragging out an interview or a process to maybe a two or three week process now if that if you're in that situation the candidate that you saw at the start of that three-week process is no longer available at the, at the end of that so what we have seen is a real speed in terms of time to hire which is Got his own, he's got great benefits because you're obviously getting the best candidates in the market at that time. But then you've also seen some people, I suppose, panic recruiting, which has then subsequently led to the retention piece falling back, another resignation because, you know, candidates are taking the first thing they've been offered, clients are taking the first candidate they've been offered, and they might not necessarily be the right person. And so you've, you've kind of got a swings and roundabout situation because there's, there's no way around it at the moment in the, way the, in the way the market is. People have to move fast, but are they moving too fast, not getting the right candidate? Yeah. And I think, you know, you talked earlier, Jonathan, about kind of, um, and I think you did as well, Charlotte, on kind of a list of things, demands was the word used, but <laughs> I suppose a suite of offerings to a candidate and how if you've got two offers on the table, you're literally going to say, I know I would if it was me, I'd sit down and I'd write two lists of what company mm -hmm. A offers me as opposed to company B. And I, I know what I'm seeing more of is... Um, creativity so you know the recruitment process has to be really slick really timely you're selling yourself on on that as you both touched on as a company you really are it's about company brand trying to execute what you represent and your values in a very short space of time but also things like um form where you can get discounts on products or mm -hmm. what your csr policy is or what charities you work with that you know it's money's great but but money's quite momentary isn't it you know it's all about what the company represents now and it's 
is it ethical and, and is it professional and is it credible? Certainly, I know we've turned our interview to talk a lot more about those kind of things to candidates as opposed to just what you're going to learn here. It's about the whole package and what we represent as a business and what's our, what our core beliefs are, because that's really important because if you're going to go into a job, you've got to believe in what it's about. Um, so we've certainly, I hope that's the right thing to do, Charlotte, <laughs> but we've certainly adapted what we're talking about at interview to be around that more so. Well, that, I, was, I was actually going to say that, Jonathan, you asked me um, earlier at what point we get involved with some of our clients. And I think that, um, Kate, you just hit the nail on the head. It's not just about the candidates selling themselves anymore. And we've been working with a lot of our clients to, you know, discuss really enhancing their careers page you know really enhancing what they're selling and actually the information that's going out into the market if you look at some of the big um you know, the big tech firms out there now or the big financial services bt and and lloyd's the two that come to mind if you look at their careers page it really goes into a full depth process of all the achievements that you can get while you're there all the benefits that you're going to get there like you're almost given a full pack before you even get to an interview yeah. selling why they're a good company to work for and I think that mo a lot more companies will need to follow suit in really selling their opportunity rather than assuming that people will just accept it. There's one case study that we use at, at Salford Uni around the changing culture of organisations and it's been around um, the difficulty in recruiting the right kind of staff and it's a company called Burtzog. They're a, they're a Dutch company, they're a, they provide health services right. in the community so basically they, they send nurses um, to, to go and look after people in their own home. So it's kind of personal care, that kind of thing. Now, the, now the person that set this business up um, worked in that sector and he realized how bureaucratic it was and it took ages for, for referrals to come in and then there was problems with budgets and all manner of things. And he set up his business purely around um, recruiting the best talent and delivering the best services. And the way they work is he, he sets a team up of nurses and he says, this is your budget. Yeah. And the budget covers salaries, it covers um, training, it covers everything. And he says, go away and deliver the service. He doesn't get involved in any aspects of the operations of it. He literally says, this is the, this is the, the one or two people who kind of, um, who are setting up this, he calls them tribes, set up, sets up the yeah. tribes. You go, you, you go away and work out how many staff members you need, work out how to deliver it. And I'll just kind of oversee it from a distance. And it's one of the most successful businesses um, over the last couple of years in Holland and um, it, they've changed or he set it up and changed the culture of how they deliver that service in that sector purely because of the difficulty in recruitment. They couldn't recruit um, really good um, nurses because of the, not because of the pay, the pay the pay was actually okay, but it was the working conditions right. and hmm. nurses don't like working in a bureaucratic environment. They like doing the job. So they've changed a complete culture. Have you noticed a lot of change in, you know, big, I don't just mean small changes, but really big changes in cultures of organisations in the way they deliver services to help in the recruitment process. So, certainly, um, it's, it's not, I was going to say not recruitment. This I've got an example. It's, it's a client, so it'd be wrong of me to tell you who, but it's quite a gritty, raw, um, quite a low paid environment, to be honest, um, of people where banter and um having a laugh and you know was really part of the culture it's, it's a social environment where people they're servicing clients who um 
are in a social environment. So it was really raw and gritty. But their turnover and their the the candidates that they were attracting were exactly the same as the ones they had. The turnover was really high and they've really done a whole piece around how we speak to one another. Um, you know, there's no such thing as banter. It's changing the words people are using, um, changing the way the, the, the employees are presenting themselves to the, the customer in a really professional way, you know, despite the environment in which they work in. Um, and that's certainly been a project we've worked on with one particular client, because if they don't take their environment to a more refined level shall we say for want of a better phrase they're going to keep attracting people that aren't fitting to where they want to be in the future and they're going to keep losing people that don't want to stay in the, the environment they were in so that's a real kind of living example Jonathan of of a culture change and it's all about treating each other with respect the words you use the the the, the co types of conversations being had um and that was a necessity to take the business forward so i have seen that in terms of really getting to the, the core of the business and changing what it feels and and, and looks like yeah. i was gonna say i've probably got a sort of a similar example one of the things that i think stood out when you were talking about um Bert dog is that it's almost putting the responsibility and the accountability back on the employees and I think that that is something that's come out of COVID. Everyone is in, with the hybrid working. Everyone's looking for that more trust in their employees. Um, and when people are starting, they want to feel like they're going into a really trusted environment. Um, and I, I actually know I have another recruitment company that have got have taken that kind of model and that example. So they've actually implemented annual leave. Um, they've got no restrictions on annual leave um, for the full year. So you can take as many days as you like. Yep, yep. Um, and they've also brought in, in terms of when you want to work in the office, outside the office, the hours that you work, they've put it all back down to the productivity of the consultant. Right. So that's what they're measured on now. So they've sort of changed their whole culture to be much more about the people that they've got and the productivity and the output rather than what is being led by the board or their senior team. I know, I know yourself, Jonathan, you spoke about at one of our events about the social safety net. And that's a really interesting way of thinking about the workplace and what's required from employees. I don't know if it's worth an explanation of that, because it's something that certainly resonated with us when you spoke to us as a leadership team here at Peninsula. And we've been speaking about it a lot. Yeah, so it, it, it was it was around, um, again, it's the expectations of, of employers. So employers now, you know, we, we all know generally you work five days a week and you know a lot of hours it's you know you you spend a lot of time at work and employers know staff members probably the best sometimes sometimes better than your own family or friends or they're able to kind of spot the early signs of of, of the bit of, of a problem arising within somebody as well so the so the social safety net is around the employer and this goes back to Capri's and Roundtree you know those companies which, which were set up in the 1800s and had this really big because of the of the background of those companies this really big social um care aspect of, of of supporting their employees in different ways and with this social safety net it's, it's not only providing a job and salary to somebody but it's making sure that they're they understand finances you can provide financial advice and get some guidance on how to manage finances it's about the well-being as well um so it's not just the, the you know supporting people at work and providing training just around doing the job. It's providing a safety net for them 
in all aspects of society as well because we're so entwined with our employers that sometimes they are the, the best resource really to to support those employees and again when you when you know it's interesting Charlotte you mentioned around private healthcare mm. you know that's not something you know that's not something especially most organizations would have even thought about offering but people want more and more support and private healthcare will cover things like counseling as well where people do want that do want that support where they are more open um to asking for help as well so i was really kind of pleased in the way that people that organizations are offering things like private healthcare because they do offer support which will help um, with the well-being side of it but the social sa- safety net side of it employers i think will have to do more. Yeah. they will have to support yeah. employees a lot more in the future yeah no it makes sense and you know it's interesting i can talk as an employee as, a, as opposed to an employer in the in terms of private health care I, I get it and you know i've genuinely never ever looked at the terms of it or what i get <laughs> or what it involves and then over covid i did and in fact there's a whole host of things that i can if something unfortunate does happen, I can tap into that benefit and utilize for both myself and my family. And I've never thought of that before. It's never been, it would never have come into my thinking as that being a reason to stay in a role. But certainly now, as an employee, I can say it genuinely would because it's a valuable benefit that I've never even considered before. So I get why people are asking about that. We literally just last week, unfortunately, had a candidate turn down a role. It was actually a sort of three or four K increase on her previous salary, um, but she rejected it because there was no private health care. Right. So How of, interesting. So real life going on. Yeah. Yeah. But also you've got the increase of obviously EAP providers. On that point, Kate, with the EAP, because now Peninsula have been heavily involved with um employee system yes yeah we have so yeah we have a a a group within the peninsula or a company within the peninsula group is called health assured we work completely separately to them as peninsula but they are a well-being company so my team for example have access to the aap via health assured and it's it's brilliant you know i've used it for when one of my daughters was was ill it's not you, you think of it as maybe an offering for just anxiety and depression and counseling but it's a whole host of things you know if you're going through divorce if you want to lose weight if you've got a neighbor dispute so it's a really valuable tool jonathan yeah and and again it's 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 nothing new i don't this isn't when we talked about pre and post pandemic i don't think a lot of these things are new i don't think i think it's just brought it back to the forefront of of what people really want the you know in kind of in correlation to what you both said the CIPD recruitment and retention reports to bring out every year. If you look at them, you know the top of the list is always salary, and it always kind of will be. That's what people. That's why people work. Let's not beat around the bush with that one. <laughs> but the, the the second and third and fourth one it has changed over the last decade, and it's more around they want to work for for a good brand, a good company, yep. Um, yep. and you know they they do want those different benefits, not just the company cars, not just the fuel cars. It's more around flexible working it's more around you know what <clears throat> do i want to come in do i want to do a job that i enjoy doing and i'm happy with it's all around that well-being and i think that's been the biggest change pre and post pandemic but it's nothing new it's just kind of brought it more to the forefront yeah i i i would agree it's just it's 
just showcasing probably what a lot of employers already had, but being more explicit with that to employees in a bit of a different pecking order, shall we say, Jonathan, and uh, being attuned to what the candidates are looking for and selling yourself based on particular needs of candidates, I think is certainly from an employer perspective that the focus of that recruitment exercise is as, as, as changed and you, you, you're selling different aspects of the business. Just to put you on the spot a little bit, Shell, let's try and kind of bring these together <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to ask you what, what, what advice would give to both the employer and the candidate. I know it's a bit of a generic, generic question, but for the employer, what kind of advice would you give around, you know, selling the brand and selling the company? What, what advice would you give them? I think and I was actually just looking at some of my notes before, before this chat and we didn't, we talked once to talk about some of the challenges and I think that kind of, links quite nicely is that obviously employers need to have that flexibility not just talking about hybrid working but also talking about the flexibility we mentioned earlier around the kind of people that they are recruiting um, whether that be from a more graduate or someone from a different area and offering that training and I think that it's down to the employers to really sort of sell an opportunity um, and also sell themselves because the number of times that we will send a candidate to an interview for a great company, great brand, but the interviewer might not be as engaged. So there's a real assumption that because it's for a, a huge brand that they're going to naturally want the vacancy. But if the actual interviewer isn't selling themselves, obviously it automatically puts the candidates off. So that sort of personal approach to the interview, I think, is really important for employers. But on the flip side of it, I do think that candidates also need to have a level of flexibility as well and I think that one of the big areas that we see a challenge is people um, haven't got a lot of experience but expect to be going in at a similar level to someone that has already been with the business for three or four years they expect to receive a lot of the same I suppose remote working facilities or um, flexibility they would normally have without going in and actually I suppose proving themselves to be able to do the role and so you've got to have flexibility from both sides for the candidate to want to prove themselves as well so it works on both sides okay that's really good really good advice for both employer and and the candidates so to try and kind of summarize um hopefully what we've we've gone through and okay I'll, I'll ask you what your advice is you know from a peninsula perspective around recruitment yeah. is to try and summarize it i think we've kind of agreed that you know recruitment is is you've got to be very very strategic now you've got to be you know ahead of ahead of the game in terms of of knowing what your skills gap is going to be not only now but in the future so have a really good strategy around your recruitment process and having good links with um, people like yourself charlotte who understand the company and know exactly what the culture is and what type of candidate they should be going for so having that understanding about um the relevant skills and abilities and knowledge and kate you mentioned earlier on you're not just recruiting people's knowledge really sometimes you're recruiting their yeah. character you know can, can they work for the organization do they understand the culture and how they resilient resilience resilience is such mm. a massive thing now that companies are looking for they want resilient people and we certainly teach that at university it's not just around having the technical knowledge it's about being the right kind of um character to work in in the organization and you know in, in my probably biased experience i think hr should be at the forefront of that they should really um, guide the organization around that use technology in recruitment you know don't be scared of using technology it should be there and it should be utilized you know there's companies um, that use technology and they're there to to kind of 
help in the process. Um, there's a company called MetaView. They have an interview intelligence and an analytics mm-hmm. um, software that, that they use that. Um, I think, Kate, you mentioned the, um, or could be shout actually, around having a really career, an organization that promotes what type of career and your development yeah. of your career yeah. if you did come to work for the organization. There's a company called um, Attrax that has a really big um, career site system. So they have a dedicated um, platform for all employees where they have a really clear um, process for their career in terms of this is what will happen if you do meet all the targets and whatever whatever they utilize to or outline to have for your career progression. They have a career science system and lots of organizations are doing that as well. Kate, you mentioned stay interviews yes. as well. I think stay interviews are so important, aren't they? I agree. I mean, don't just start having conversations about mm-hmm. are you engaged employee at the point they're giving you the resignation letter. Um, the horse has bolted, hasn't it? It's very hard to change someone's thinking and decision at that stage. But if you if you know your people inside out, if you're speaking to them all the time, if you're doing you know, not just a, a catch up like a return to work where there's been an issue to trigger it, like a sickness, you know, speak with them regularly, have a stay interview. You might want to call it something different. But, you know, Kate, what are your career aspirations? How do you feel at the moment? Are you happy? What training are you getting? That's so key, knowing your people. And I always say to our leadership team, if, if you get a, a resignation and you didn't expect it, something has gone wrong and we've got to get to the bottom of what that is Um, because you should know them that well that they're speaking with you and you get the indicators and you can retrieve that. Um, So yeah, speak all the time, Jonathan, build relationships, show you care and and that social safety net as you touched on is is really key. And I also think that this is where some of the hybrid working or the complete remote working is a real challenge for employers to be able to maintain that kind of relationship and see what's going on face-to-face with the people that they've taken on. I mean, we have had teams that have tried fully remote working and got people onboarded and started fully remote. And it's just not quite worked because they've missed out on that kind of soft skills that they'd get in the team with their manager and the sort of one-to-one face-to-face. So in terms of, you know, post-COVID um, recruitment struggles and retention struggles, I think that could be one sort of moving forward with the hybrid working model. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much, Charlotte, for coming on our podcast today. Hope you enjoyed the experience. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Charlotte. And thanks, Kate, as always. Thanks, Jonathan. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's great. Good good conversation. Thank you. So thanks very much for listening, to, listening everybody. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. Just search for HR Unpacked. If you want to ask a question on a future episode of HR Unpacked, click on the link in the episode notes to ask us any questions that you would like us, me or Kate to answer.
And I also think that this is where the some of the hybrid working or the complete remote working is a real challenge for employers. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much, Charlotte, for coming on our podcast today. Hope you enjoyed the experience. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Charlotte. And thanks, Kate, as always. Thanks, Jonathan. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's great. Good, good conversation. Thank you. So thanks very much for listening, to, listening everybody. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. Just search for HR Unpacked. If you want to ask a question on a future episode of HR Unpacked, click on the link in the episode notes to ask us any questions that you would like us, me or Kate to answer. HR Unpacked is sponsored by Peninsula providers of professional services to small businesses across the UK. Their services go beyond employment law and HR to cover health and safety management, insurance, employee well-being and much more besides. Peninsula service is always provided by a hand-picked team of experts so you can be sure you're getting the best, all of which means more peace of mind for you and more time for you to concentrate on what you do best, growing your business. Established and headquartered right here in Manchester, they now provide services to small businesses in Ireland, Australia, New Zealand and Canada, meaning that more people than ever are protected by Peninsula.